You're listening to the Ascension Roundtable Podcast, Episode 15, Where's My Team? A little while back, we got an email from a listener, Brian, who told us about how he's struggling to get his volunteers to be all in alongside him. Brian, you're not alone. People ask us questions related to this issue all the time. So in this episode, Colin and Alan troubleshoot three of the main issues we hear most frequently. One, I can't get anyone to help me. Two, the people who have stepped up just aren't the right people for the job. And three, I've got great people, but now they're a click and other people don't want to join. Stay tuned. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm joined today by Colin McIver, who is uh, joining us via Skype. Uh, Tom McCabe is not with us today. He is actually leading a retreat for priests. So if you get a sec... Please pray for those priests that they have to endure a week of McCabe. So please uh, pray for them. <laughs> um, <laughs> today we're going to talk about um, volunteers. Um, our, uh, I'm going to go ahead and call him our friend Brian, even though we've never met, who sent an email uh, a while ago actually about um, volunteering and building a volunteer team, maintaining volunteers. Such a great question, so vital to everyone who works in church uh, ministry. And so we're going to tackle that today. So... Um, Good morning, Colin. Good morning, Alan. So before we even Beautiful start... Beautiful day here in Louisiana. Is it really? Yeah. Yeah, as I just talked over you awkwardly. Oh, that's... <laughs> the... <laughs> Not the first time. Probably, probably won't be the last. No. no. Is it humid it's Like there? one, two, three... <laughs> is it humid? No, it's actually not right now. It usually is, and it will be in a day or so, but I'm just enjoying like an unusually tame May. So nice. that's all good. Nice. This is the time of the year that, that my uh, my family, when I tell them I like the weather in Philadelphia, they're like, really? It's because of days like today. It's just awesome out this time of the year. Like This is like their third year in a row. It's just beautiful right now. This time of year, it's just awesome. So glad you're having some similar weather down south. Yeah, definitely so. So my question for you, if it's really a question, it's kind of a, it's kind of a mishmash of a thought that I'm having, and I'm not sure if it's going to come out as a statement or as a question. I'm just going to kind of throw it out there and then let you um, respond to it. I don't like the word volunteer. It, it, I'm not sure what it is about it. I think it's just, I could have a personal problem, um, which is very likely, but it may even have a personal problem relating to the word volunteer as well. I just don't like the connotation it has like a sense of like a, like slave labor or pledge or, you know, something like that. Like, I'm just not sure if I, like I would, I never referred to, um, people that I worked with in ministry that were volunteering, I never referred to them as volunteers. I would always call them like my my team or, you know, I figured we were in this together. And so it just seemed like a weird to say volunteer. Whenever somebody would say in the church in a meeting or something would say, oh, just get some volunteers. I always just made me like kind of cringe. Like they're not our pledges. You know what I mean? Like we're not going to just go just get some volunteers <laughs> to go do that. That always just kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Does that is that just a personal problem I have? Or do you have a similar taste in your mouth for that or what's what's going on there well there are a couple of things one volunteer is is a large group and it it could include those who you know who show up and help with a painting project or the ones who show up and help at the fish fry and it's a little different or at least uh, distinct from those who are involved in a ministry i think for a lot of our listeners what or, or maybe even the the listener who asked the original question, they're talking about those who are going to be engaged in a ministry in the parish, specifically a ministry, 
and who are not monetarily compensated. They don't get paid. Um, the benefits I hear are out of this world, as the cliche goes, <laughs> but they're not they're not getting a paycheck. Um, so so that's that's kind of kind of uh, I guess what we're we're talking about. So maybe we could talk a bit about volunteers in general because there are plenty of people who are engaged in the parish who do volunteer work, but not necessarily ministries. Um, so I think I've said this on other podcasts. I affectionately refer to a certain segment of Catholics as as the fish fry Catholics. Um, there are many who volunteer fish fries who are also engaged in ministries. But there are some for whom um, that volunteerism is is just a, an act of goodwill service, but it's not really tied into um, you know missionary discipleship yet um, for them. So so there's a little bit of a distinction there. But I digress. No, I think that's um, that's the distinction. I think in my head. I think you just I think you just nailed it. For because for me, like I have gone to volunteer somewhere before, or help out with something, or. Um, even if somebody asks me, what are you doing this week? And I'll say, I'm going to volunteer at XYZ or we need some volunteers for something. And it's almost like a, a title that you like wearing, like, oh, I'm a volunteer for the day at this event or whatever. But there is, I think, a difference in somebody who is part of a, an ongoing ministerial team who is working working for the church but not getting paid. I think that that's when it becomes kind of a weird, um, in, in my mind anyway, like a weird um, title. Like a, like I think ministry yeah. team or some, or something is a little a little better because when it comes to and we'll we'll talk about this later but when it comes to like building a team that you're working with as an employee in the church I never really saw my role different from their role except that I was the one who interfaced with the church and had a lot of administrative stuff and took the blame for things when they went wrong but as far as what I did on a day to day basis working with um, people in the parish I was in the same ministry that the people who weren't getting paid were doing. That makes sense. Yeah, you you might say that they are coworkers in the vineyard of the Lord. I've heard um, that some somewhere. smart guy said that. <laughs> All right, so here's a question for you. This is one that I'm sure everybody has heard before or has heard the statement. I can't get anybody to volunteer. I can't get any help. Um, what do you? What would you suggest as like number one thing or top five things or top three things? Like you're building a team. Where do you start? What do you do? Let's see. Um, I think there there are a few things that come to mind, and I, I don't know if I can tier them in terms of like your here's your like number one thing. But um, anecdotally, I love that word anecdotally because um, I like to tell stories. But I would say um, just about a week ago we were having a confirmation meeting, and it was it was our initial meeting. Um, we decided to kind of break up informational stuff from formational stuff, you know, just to, to do paperwork and then to really get um, to the heart of the program. Anyway, I'm still in the process of recruiting some more team members and I'm having some difficulty, quite relevant to our episode. Um, but I happen to know that one of the, the moms of the candidates is excellent at recruiting volunteers. So in a, in a sense, um, I've found it helpful to find a volunteer who's good at recruiting volunteers, that there are some who just have that gift of being able in a hopefully cunning and innocent way, um, uh, that gift of talking people into stuff. So by the time we walked out of that meeting, I had four more well-qualified small group leaders that I can be very excited about. So finding someone in your parish who is good at recruiting volunteers is a good idea. And in general, part of what I think distinguishes um, the the director 
in the parish or your yeah your your DRE your your um, RCIA leader your adult formation person whoever is doing whatever title of pastoral work on the staff for the parish you want to be good at identifying the talents of the people in the parish so that they can find a way to be engaged and plugged into ministry. So included in that would be someone who's good at recruiting, somebody who has a a network of of friends and just some people skills. So that's one. Um, Another thing is to ask the question, where are you looking and who are you asking? So it's a reality in a lot of parishes that there's a very small insular group that tends to do most of the ministry work. And we tend to go to the usual suspects for everything, but they reach a point of saturation. There are no more hours left in the day. They may be a little burnt out, and maybe we can't get any volunteers there because they're already doing too much. Um, they're already involved in tons of different ministries. They're folding up tables and chairs at one o'clock in the morning and changing the sanctuary lamp and doing all kinds of different things. So you might need to look um, to a broader base. So that's one. Um, the second question is, is how are you asking? I, I've had a, a gut check moment where I realized that there are people in the parish that I call upon for things that, um, that every time they get a text or a call from me or when I come up to them after mass, they know I'm going to ask them to do something. <laughs> and that, that's, that's a convicting gut check moment. So um, one thing for us to make sure that we're doing is um, to make sure that we come to to serve and not to be served mm-hmm. <laughs> that that we're really engaging those who are involved in our parish in in being fed as well as feeding I, I think that's also a differentiator in terms of those of us who are um, on staff in a parish or or a school or a diocesan office um, so so those two things so where are you looking and how are you asking um, and then the other thing too um, referring back to a conversation I had, I think yesterday morning, I was talking to somebody about our, our chosen program and how effective it is when you have small, small groups, when you have a small group leader and say six to eight candidates who are able to to really discuss, to really grow in relationship, to really become a community of disciples. And it's difficult sometimes in, in the first year or two years or three years that you're in a parish to find enough small group leaders to, to do that as effectively as you'd like to, so that um, you may end up starting small. Um, Alan, we, we've been talking for the last several weeks with in- increased intensity about um, spiritual multiplication and the discipleship model. And in order for that to work, it requires some patience that it may be that you only have five or six um on your ministry team to start, and you may need ultimately twenty or twenty-five to have uh, to have a, really what you eventually want to build. But start with the five or six and form them um, to be disciples, and then maybe the next year or in six months you have more who are being drawn in. So that's that's another thing: is start with a smaller core, form them properly. And volunteers, if they are properly formed, are not just volunteers, they're disciples. And disciples multiply. That's just what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing I would say is to consider the stone rejected by the builder. Um, there may be in your parish those who have gifts and talents, 
um, but for whatever reason are kind of not in the in the in crowd. Um, hopefully our parishes don't look like the cafeteria in Mean Girls, um, <laughs> but sometimes they do a little bit, and there are those who just aren't in the the, the ministry in crowd. So as as the one who's who's in the parish on on the staff doing ministry to have eyes to see where some of those unhealthy patterns are and to try to really invite into the work those who are stones rejected by the builders um so how about you alan any any other thoughts those are just some off the top of my head and off the top of my show notes ideas <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i think all those are are spot on i i think much like in real estate when you're talking about real estate and the number one, the top three things for a house are location, location, location. I think the top three things for volunteers is invitation, invitation, invitation. Now, like you said, where you're looking and how you're asking can make a big difference. And Mm -hmm. personally, I think I've, I've got in like 13 years of parish ministry, I got up every year and spoke at all the masses at least once during the year and sometimes multiple times and i think i think i've received one person one person started volunteering on the team um who saw me at mass and gave my little pitch at mass um over 13 years only one person same thing with putting names or putting an invitation in the bulletin i think i've got total over 13 years i think i got zero People came forward um, for that, and those are the two ways that we tend to to invite at the parish level. It just seems like mm-hmm. that's just kind of how we've always done things. You, you do a, a bulletin announcement. If you have a website, you put it on there, and then you get up mass and you speak. And I think yeah, you could, you could put in in your bulletin. You could put there's a one million dollar check hidden underneath <laughs> the sink in the lavatory in the back, and and that million dollar check would still be there. Yeah, so, it's true. Sometimes, no no offense to bulletin readers out there, but you're you're spot on. Sorry, you you were talking and I interrupted. Go no, ahead. That's fine. That, that's hilarious, actually. Um, so uh, so then so the question is, so how do you who do you ask and and where do you look? And I think finding somebody like you said, finding a volunteer who's skilled at recruiting. Um, I have had success when instead of me speaking at mass, I had. Um, somebody who was on my core team talk about how they how much they got out of the ministry and how their lives was were changed and how much joy they have from giving to the ministry. And then we would have teams of people available at like every exit in the building on the way out, and so you couldn't exit without having to walk by somebody who was who was working on the team. And so they, as they're on their way out, they could stop somebody and say. Um, Hey, like information. I'd like to talk about this or whatever, and just get their name and and, and phone number or email or, or however they prefer to be contacted. And so have somebody get up and share their story, and then typically somebody's going to be affected by that, and they're going to be interested in inquiring more. And then you can begin that the that conversation with them. Um, so that's that's been effective, um, as well as at a parent meeting every every year for confirmation. Oh. I would have a parent get up and talk about how they volunteered and, and again, how their life was changed. And they, they initially wanted to help volunteer with confirmation because they had a teen in the program. Um, but the next year, they came back, and their teen was not in confirmation anymore. They were moved on to 11th grade, and they continued to um, to serve on the team. You know, And 10 years later, here they are still on the team. Their kids are, are, are in college and, and out of college, and they're still... Um, you know, serving on the confirmation team and one of the better mentors slash confirmation leaders slash 
core team, whatever your whatever your term is for them. Um, so I think people sharing their story of how they've been affected by it is opens the eyes of somebody else because they think, oh, I can't do that, or it's too much work, or and so there's a sense of no, actually, you're kind of created and designed to serve and to give, and it's gonna you're gonna change if you serve and give in that in that way. So I think um, so those two things, um, invitation, mm-hmm. and then one of the thing we did that was effective was we did it not every year, but every couple of years we would have like a potluck dinner and each person on the core team would be responsible for inviting somebody that they thought would be interested in the ministry to, um, the dinner. And so they would, was, was there jello mold served at these potluck dinners? <laughs> is there, is there a potluck dinner without jello mold? Right, that's a good question. It, it's kind of a requirement, I believe, isn't it? <laughs> um, in some years, it was gel, not Jello mold, but Jello shots, and we got multi- oh. multiple volunteers <laughs> that year. Volunteers. <laughs> Did you have a live auction to follow? <laughs> oh man! So, um, so yeah, so I think just invitation, invitation, invitation. Mm-hmm. It's got to be a personal invitation from somebody talking one day, and you say, "Hey, man, I think you've ever thought about working with RCIA? Have you ever thought about working with teenagers? Have you ever thought about working with kids?" Um, you got a real gift. I think, you know, people would benefit from having you in their life and then give them the opportunity. Well, I, I like what you said too about the testimony. So invitation, 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 and testimony, testimony, testimony. Yeah. I mean, those are, are pretty fundamental to, um, to the, the call of disciples in the beginning that when we, when we give testimony, certainly to, to Christ himself and to the, the big picture of how Christ is moving in our lives, that's very effective. That's how People come into the faith in the first place, but they could come into particular aspects of, of ministry or particular ministries because they they hear an effective testimony. Um, so I really like that. That um, I, I can think of in, in my own parish a couple of parents who exactly fit that bill. That when their when their teen was in a confirmation program, they started to volunteer and serve and teach, and then they just kept doing it. You know, so um, so that that's. That's awesome stuff um, to encourage people to to share testimony of what's effective. Um, so yeah, absolutely. And then it, it's kind of it seems silly to to say, but we might as well go ahead and say it. If there, are, hopefully, the people think this is a given is just to pray. <laughs> um, yeah. Just pray for volunteers. You know, just just um, go before the Blessed Sacrament and just continue to ask God to place people in your path that you can invite and let you know who they are and. And to inspire people and place it on their hearts that they want to serve, they're being called to serve, and then hopefully God can, not hopefully, he will, just intersect your life and their life and give you a chance to invite them. Um, so just continue to uh, to pray. So why don't we um, take a quick break. When we come back, I'm going to ask you um, that what if you have the problem of you don't, you're getting volunteers, but they're not the ones you were hoping for. They're not the volunteers you, know, you quote-unquote wanted. So um, let's take a quick break, and uh, we'll be right back. Hey guys, this is Shayna from Ascension. I don't know if you've heard, but with Ascension's new digital delivery platform, you can start a study with anyone, anywhere. Here's how to do it. First, go to ascensionpress.com and create a free online account. Once you're there, preview any of our study programs for free and choose the one you'd like to lead. Then, find at least three friends, family members, or coworkers who want to do the study with you. Once you have your group, make sure everyone registers to receive their study materials. Then, you're ready to go. 
meet with your group in person, online, or both. It's that simple. All right, and we're back. So, Colin, I'm in a parish. I'm uh, mm-hmm. I've put out a put out the SOS that I need people to help with RCIA mm-hmm. or CCD or, or whatever the case may be, and these people are coming out, but man, they are not the ones that I was hoping were going to come out. Like, what do you do? What do you do then? Well, where I would start is get the number of the closest parish to you and their email and contact information. <laughs> And then you tell those volunteers that the next parish over really needs volunteers. <laughs> so just send them right over there. That sound like a good plan? I like no, that. Okay. <laughs> um, I think where you, you start is, one, to examine your own response to said volunteer, um, that you may be coming from a particular bias, and it may be that some of those volunteers that have been sent to you um, deserve a chance. And it, it may be your experience that you've had with them throughout the years in the parish, or it may be just an initial impression, and, and they could turn out to be very effective in, in whatever ministry. So you need to take a deep breath and kind of examine your own heart and your own response. Secondly, um, it's almost a cliche that it's because it's true that God does not call the qualified, he qualifies the called. And I would give a little bit of credence to that because it's pretty much first century fundamental church stuff, that the original disciples of Jesus were were not the valedictorians and the sort of A-listers. Mm-hmm. Um, instead, they were stones rejected by the builders. So then you have a little bit of an issue that if you get those that want to help, but they're not yet qualified to help, here's where you have to take a little bit of a long view and ensure that those that volunteer get the formation they need so they can do so effectively, especially if we're talking about something like um, leading a small group or something even a little bit more rigorous, like actually teaching a class. So I, I think having a certain level of qualification that um, that sets the bar a little higher is not a bad idea. Um, I've I've even noticed this for um, for th- things pertaining to teenagers. If I want volunteers for something, what I'll actually do is make an application process, and that application process implies that not all who apply will will be selected, and it creates a little bit of buzz um, so that those who have a more sort of competitive nature might. Um, tend to volunteer, but it allows you to, one, um, vet those who volunteer, and two, to uh, to have some level of requirement that follows from being selected. So that on the front end, you can say that it, if you are involved in this ministry, um, here's this day of formation you're going to go to, and here's uh, you know four, four classes we're going to have, or four sessions we're going to have on leading an effective small group. Or it may even be that that your diocese helps you out here and there are certain requirements in terms of contact hours. So I think qualifying those who volunteer is is something we need to do. Um, when we get desperate for volunteers, we just kind of say yes to anyone who volunteers and we just, just line them all up. And if it's, you know, especially if it's youth catechesis, we just stick them in a classroom with kids and we're glad that they're there. But is that really 
effective in terms of handing on the faith? And um, often the answer is is no. <laughs> yeah. um, so that application model, I think, is is something to definitely think about. It, it does take a longer view. It is, in a sense, more work. Um, but it um, it's it's a I think one of those things uh, as I was saying earlier that is it's innocent as a dove, um, but it can be cunning as well. In that when you create perceived demand, um, then there is uh, often a greater supply. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I, yeah, I totally, totally, totally agree with that. I think that um, a lot of times we're just afraid to set the bar higher because we won't get anybody to come out. And I think that, you know, a lot of times the opposite is true. You may, more people might come out because they think, oh, this actually means something. It's not just, they're not just looking for any warm body. This actually means something. Um, and like you said, also, you know, you don't have to, not everybody is, is uh, uh, how do we say, welcomed to volunteer. I mean, if you were um, folding chairs, there are certain things you would, you would need to be able to have the strength to pick up the chair and the dexterity to fold it and so on and so on. So when it comes to ministering to people, depending on what they're volunteering for, if they're volunteering for a position that is, you know, sharing their life with people, if that person's life is not going to be beneficial, or if that person's life needs to, not that they have to be perfect, but if that person's life needs to um, have some order to it as well, maybe they're not in a position, it could be detrimental to them to be serving in that capacity instead of um, they need to be kind of getting their own stuff together. Um, now, having said that, I think that none of us are perfect, and there's a lot of there's a lot can be learned with walking with somebody else being broken and trying to you know walk the path and walking that with somebody else can be very um, you know beneficial and helpful. But if somebody has some some issues, then maybe they should get those sorted out before they're allowed to um, you know work with people. Just like you, just like you have safe environment with with kids, you wouldn't want somebody who is um, you know, has a history of pedophilia or something working with, with kids either. You same kind of thing. I think you want to guard against um, someone's, what am I trying to say? You want to guard against somebody's... Um, Maybe the potential for scandal. I think that, that might be part of what you're getting at, that, yeah. that there's um, there are some who would be happy to volunteer, but there may be something in their life that, that is public and that would, would cause scandal. Um, and I, I think it's important that th there is such a thing as a no that is a compassionate no, and that opens a door to something else. So that we we never want to slam a door in anyone's face, especially someone who is is coming to us to um, to to want to collaborate in ministry. Um, it may be pointing them to another form of ministry, or it may be um, that compassionate no may be the thing that, that causes them to examine. Um, whatever in their life is causing scandal and and to to remedy it. so so that that's that's definitely a, a fine-tuned um, pastoral art, I, I would say. Mm -hmm. um, but also if if you're if you're on a parish staff or a school staff or um, if you're a diocesan official, it's one that we we all very much need um, in in the modern church, the the gift to to be both compassionate and convicted. To uh, to follow the model of Jesus when he said the hard things that he always did so with clarity to the truth, um, but also with compassion to the one who heard it. So that if you if you look at Jesus, especially in John's gospel, he's able to say some really hard things to people, and um, it, it it's sometimes in saying the hard thing, like like with the woman at the well, 
that she is able to see clearly this is the Messiah. You know, this is the one who who was foretold. And, and Jesus says to her exactly what her issue is. And is that that propels her to, to transform her life and to give testimony? So you, you may get somebody who comes to you and says, hey, I, I really want to teach I want to teach religious education this year. And I don't know, maybe they're, um, they're, they're living with somebody. They're not married. Or, you know, I don't, I don't want to get into uh, exactly what all scenarios are. Cause I don't want to make it sound like, well, this is worse than this is worse than this. But if there's something public there that you're aware of um, it, it, there may be a, a compassionate way um, to, to call out that problem while still reverencing the person and inviting them deeper into the life of the church. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, th- I think we're almost not almost. I think we're obligated to to that. You know, our mm-hmm. our um, <clears throat> we're there to serve. You, you know, whatever your position is, we're there to serve this group of people, whether it be adults, teens, kids, or whatever. And so you have to not be afraid to hurt someone's feelings because it's the right thing to do because it's the right thing for the people you're ministering to. So I think that you just have to kind of yeah do it compassionately and and um, like you said, the no might be the right maybe the best thing for them that's going to put them on a path to get their life together. So, yeah. And again, that takes yeah. prayerful discernment <laughs> as everything else. It's always got to be done in prayer and praying for, um, you know, for God's guidance in that. So, all right. How about if you've got volunteers, they're awesome. They're so awesome. They hang out all the time. They just like do stuff, do life together. And, uh, but it keeps other people from joining because they're like a big, click and nobody seems to want to be able to get in and, and join because they feel like an outsider. Yeah. And, um, on what is it? Wednesdays, they wear pink or, or one day of the week or something like that. It depends and on you can sit with them, that sort of thing. <laughs> gotcha. Um, I, I think this is one of those, I'll, I'll call it a, a, a positive problem. Um, not because the problem itself is positive, but because it represents that there has been some good progress in the parish, that there is a sense of belonging and identity, but then there's a whole other series of attacks. So we like to talk a lot about that book, um, Soul of the Apostolate. Well, a lot of the spiritual attacks just described in Soul of the Apostolate um, are spiritual attacks that that happen once you're once you're on your way, you know, so that um, the devil would love nothing more than to to get into a community of disciples that starts off with an authentic experience of Jesus and authentic love for one another and turn it into a click. Um, so this also is one of those areas where the, the, the pastoral, I don't want to say it, the pastoral expert, because that sounds like a, a whole other thing. I don't want to say that, but the, the person who is in, in the position of leadership in the, in the parish or in the school or in your, your home Bible study or wherever we are, um, that person in leadership needs to identify that and call it out um, so that the the flow of, of discipleship is always invitation. It's always outwards. It's always life-giving. It's never um, insulated. So I, quite, quite frankly, one of the things that will give you evidence that you have a click is if it becomes gossipy. I think probably a lot of us have witnessed that in our parish lives that gossipy conversations start happening, that somebody becomes a target, that there's some sort of scandal that becomes a little bit of an obsession. And that's an indicator that the the trajectory of the group has gone in the wrong direction, that it's become insular and not um, inviting. 
so that the movement and the flow of discipleship is always to invite others in. It's always the spiritual multiplication, and it's never the division. So as a as a leader in, in whatever capacity, whether we're talking to somebody who's an RCIA or um, even on the diocesan level, I'm sure there are some who are listening in chanceries who could say, yeah, well, don't, don't forget about us because that kind of thing can happen mm-hmm. right within the walls of a chancery. There yeah. can be cliques, there can be factions. I belong to Paul, I belong to Apollos. I mean, they're not <laughs> new problems, right? Um, but we, as leaders, should be the ones to have the eyes and ears to, to see and hear and identify those things and then to call them out so that when there is clickiness, we recenter, we refocus the group, or if there are toxic forms of relationship um, that you find on on your core team or in your, your staff of volunteers, whoever they may be, um, I think to to have honest, formative conversations and and to continue to monitor those situations is very important um, and often unpleasant that. Um, there, there are those who have experienced, unfortunately, great levels of, of hurt in the church. And I, I can think of just several examples of um, the way that these things have gone down throughout the years. And if you think about the spiritual component of this, the, you know, the devil is like racking up trophies every time he can destroy a ministry through, through gossip and clickiness. So, so this kind, as Jesus says, um, can only be cast out through prayer. So the prayer is important. Um, it's not just some cliche thing like, oh, we're going to pray for you or I'm going to pray for you. <laughs> it's it's a an actual practice that we have to employ, really praying for um, those who are in ministry to be to be protected and, and praying together. You know, um, if, if clickiness comes up, then bust out your St. Michael prayer and and go after it. <laughs> yeah, like you said, it's a, it is a it, it can be a good problem to have. And don't be don't be scared off if your team is becoming uh, friends, you know, like some of my best mm-hmm. friends are people I served with. And so, and so um, don't be afraid. Like when you see that happening, don't think, Oh no, we're turning inward. Like that's a good thing. You just want to you need to get away. You need to spend time together as a team. But then like you said, turn outward. It's got to be a, a constant um, opening and invitation of others to join instead of a, a closed in. But just because people are getting close and are building strong relationships, like that is a positive thing. And hopefully, you know, the way the team treats each other is the way that the people they're ministering to will treat each other, whether that's adults or ch- children or teenagers or, or, or whomever or who, whoever or whatever. Insert proper grammar right there. So, so yeah, I think that's a good that's a good problem to have and, and a thing that, that's going to take some proper um, prayerful discernment again and to um, have the tough conversation sometimes to let people know this is what's happening and and um, make them aware of that situation. But that's why people work for the church get paid so much is to make those tough decisions like that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You're speaking of um, the eternal capital of grace, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Okay, so one more question for you. Okay, like we kind of, like you like you began off stating, if you have a team of disciples, disciples naturally self multiply each other. Um, so, mm-hmm. how, what are some practical ways that you can train your team, or like some routines to go through in your team to uh, make sure that they're um, constantly gut, having a gut check themselves? Like, what are some things you can do for your team to make sure that they're um, doing that? Okay, so I think that there is um, 
there's a, a sort of interior answer, and then I have a couple of really practical things that that I think should be habits of of your group. One, um, which is a little more interior, is that you model it. That that's this whole thing of discipleship. That if you, um, leading a team, are outward and constantly inviting people in, then that becomes the dynamic of the group. The the sort of spiritual DNA. Mm-hmm. Um, you need to intentionally state and remind. Um, I think that that's a very important thing. And and where practically can that happen? I think it's in the a routine that happens before every time, whatever your group you're ministering to, every time that there's a meeting beforehand, there's a prayer, there's a reminder of, of role and mission and ministry. Um, and then there are some specific marching orders so that one thing that might happen at the beginning of, um, I don't know, let's say it's some larger faith formation group and there's, there's a leadership team, small group leaders. Well, if you aren't intentional about it. Maybe the small group leaders are the ones kind of huddling over in the corner while everyone, all the, everyone who's a participant walks in. And so there's an insulation. So there needs to be a practical routine that look, when, when everyone gets here, we need to be spread out and we need to be in the midst of, of the whole group so that there needs to be, um, a, a practical and intentional way of doing that. That's even true of a core team and teens that, um, the core team may want to just kind of huddle in the corner. And when the teens get there, the teens do their teen thing. The core group does their core group thing. You need to make sure that they're being integrated throughout. So that's, that's one habit at the beginning. And I think the second thing is to do a bit of a corporate examination, um, of conscience after an event. So that once your once your group leaves, whoever you're ministering to, you huddle again, um, you pray, and you talk a little bit about how the night went. And I think you get very specific, especially if you've seen signs of clickiness about things that may have happened. Were were we welcoming and inviting? Um, were we insular? Um, how did how did that work? So I think on the on the front end um, to state what the goal is. And to to really remind, to give some specific marching orders, and on the back end, um, to evaluate and examine, and both of those in the context of prayerful hearts. Amen, brother. Man, good stuff. So there you have it. There's uh, some spiritual ways, practical ways to um, at least to begin building a team and and um, in looking at building a team for ministry. Um, Stay with us next week. We're going to talk about maintaining that team, uh, which is a whole other uh, set of challenges. So if you have other specific questions about building a team, please write in and we can address those too. If we missed anything, um, please let us know and we'll we'll get back to it. So um, know as always that uh, we're praying for you. Um, We love you guys. Please pray for us. Um, You guys are awesome. You're doing good work. Colin, anything you want to close with? I mean, how could I top that, Alan? I don't know. I was just hoping we could call the next episode There's No I in Team, because that's not a cliche at all. <laughs> not at all. I never heard that. Where's that, where's that from? <laughs> no, no, there is no There is no I in Team. There really isn't. There really it's isn't. true. <laughs> it's so true. I've been spelling Team wrong all this time. <laughs> I thought it was I before E except after T. Oh, man. Ah, <laughs> oh, great. No, that, that's... That's what I would say. Um, but I, I, this, uh, just to affirm, and I guess our, our listeners will let us know, but since we decided to talk about this and since we got that email, um, so much of this has come up just in, in, uh, 
everything from from calls that I've had with with people who are are looking at how to um, how to better implement chosen to things that are going on in, in parish. I was at a a staff meeting earlier this week where there was a lot of discussion of volunteers. So this this seems to be a really um, a really important hot topic. So uh, I just hope this is helpful for all of you listeners out there. And uh, and yet yeah, we are praying for you. And uh, we hope you have a great day. So leave us a comment in our show notes at ascensionpresents.com slash podcasts or email us directly at ascensionroundtable at ascensionpress.com. See you next week. Thank you.